Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life, drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California. I am so excited about this show. I've got a good friend coming on, and she has actually been coming on to the show for the last 12 years. She is phenomenal. Her name is, and if you don't know it already, Marguerite Manning. Now, she is an astrologer, but you're you're not average astrologer because she doesn't really predict or forecast for this lifetime. She actually tells you about your previous lifetime and how everything that you are dealing with today is simply brought forward so that you can finally resolve your issues from the last life into this current life. It's so fascinating. She has told me things that has allowed me the ability to look beyond my current life and to finally understand what all of these situations that have occurred, and some of them have been very, very hard. But because of that, I'm able to look at life in a totally different way and to put a new light into those existing problems with family or husbands or children, it gives me the opportunity to really look with new eyes and think, oh, that makes so much sense, so that I can get beyond the issues. And it has totally, totally changed my life because I can let go of the victimhood. It's not that they're doing it to me. It's a continuation of how I looked at life in a previous life. So it's fascinating, and I'm so glad that she's coming on. You're really going to love it. And we are going to be talking about decoding your contract with the universe. And this is her new book, and it's all about uh, cosmic karma and your sun sign so she allows you to fully engage in deciphering what your past life was through this book is absolutely terrific i love it i love it and i love marguerite before i bring marguerite out i just want to take a moment of reflection here because it is thanksgiving weekend and you know i talk about life after life But I really have not talked that much about the death of my father. And we're coming up on the ninth anniversary of my father's death. And every time I think about it, I just think it's an amazing story. Because it totally changed the way I think about death. And I'm so, so grateful for that very big, important lesson that dad taught me about death and dying. 
it's it's truly amazing and i wanted to just take a moment to share it with you it was thanksgiving eve and i remember the weather was pouring out rain and it was very late hospice came in and asked for the final medical kit that had morphine and sedatives to help with the final day after they gave him the appropriate amount to keep him resting as comfortably as possible. And as they did this, I managed to call up my brothers and sisters and said, well, this is it. You might want to come over to the house now. Really not knowing when dad was going to pass. But anyhow, I called them all up and but we couldn't get a hold of one brother. Oh my goodness, the nurses are so incredible, so wonderful, so kind and gentle. They really stayed the entire night with him and allowed my brothers to help out with giving my dad massages. And and again, he was unconscious. He was not with us mentally, or so I thought. So anyway, two of my brothers spent the night with their families in the living room and in the the third bedroom. And my sister decided that they had to go home because they brought their little dogs. So anyway, I woke up about 5 a.m. because I could hear his breathing was very labored. And the nurse asked me, you know, your dad is hanging on. She asked me, do you know what he could be waiting for? Was there someone in the family who had not come to see him yet? And I said, yes, there's one brother not there. So she asked me, do you think you could get a hold of him and see if he can come? Because dad's breath was very labored and he should have left by now. So I asked my other brother, to see if he could get a hold of him and bring him to the house as soon as he could. Well, fortunately, he did reach him, and within 45 minutes, he came. And the hospice nurse ushered him in to spend the next couple of moments with my dad. Then about five minutes later, the nurse came out and asked all of us to please come in. It was time. So we all lined up around the bed. And then dad took his final breath. So the message I took away is that even though dad was so unconscious, until his second son came in so that he could say goodbye, even though he wasn't talking, he was unconscious. So the thing that I want you to understand that what we think of death is not the end. It's just a birthing into another, another universe. We were all connected at that point. My mother, who had already passed on, was, I felt, waiting for dad to go. And yet, dad would not leave until he had said his goodbyes to all five of his children. It was the most unbelievable feeling to finally realize that there is no such thing as death. Oh, I know I will see him again, and I know that he comes and visits me as he does every member of the family. That was something so special. Now, you know, my dad was born on St. Patrick's Day, which we really, really celebrated, and he died on Thanksgiving Day. Two holidays that were very, very special to us all. To me, Thanksgiving is a huge blessing because not only did my dad teach me a life-changing lesson, but it gave me the opportunity to share it with so many people all over the world. 
So during these upcoming holidays of love and joy and peace, never forget that your parents, your grandparents, their grandparents, and those you might have lost, you're not alone. Set an extra plate at the dinner table. Serve their favorite foods. Celebrate their life because you have to realize they are with you during every holiday, every minute. All you have to do is think of them and they pop right into your life right then, right there. Love them. Send them a hug and know that there is no such thing as death. So with that, we're going to take a fast commercial break and then we're going to be right back with Marguerite Manning. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind The Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Did you know that every human uses only a small portion of their powerful mind? Jules Johnson, International Certified Hypnotherapist, wants to introduce you to your powerful mind in order to create your dream life. In as little as one session, Jules guides you into releasing limiting beliefs that keep you from achieving wealth, health, better relationships, and even true love. Schedule a session in Palm Springs or set up a Skype video session for those nationally and internationally. Jules would love to serve as your guide into living your dreams. Go to creativeguidedimagery.com or call 951-201-2166. That's creativeguidedimagery.com. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network, heard by millions worldwide through 38 internet radio stations and in over 135 countries. Be sure to sign up for your monthly updates and get all the latest information on LOA radio events, such as cruises, workshops, and seminars, as well as information on the latest shows, topics, and guests. Go to LOARadioNetwork.com and sign up today. Well, welcome, Marguerite Manning, to Law of Attraction Talk Radio again. I am so happy. Every time you come on, it's just like a breath of fresh air. Well, I feel the same way, and I think it's our two Gemini sons could probably talk for three hours without <laughs> stopping. So time does fly whenever I'm on the podcast with you. Thank you, <laughs> Well, yeah. you... You know, you have been, I've known you, what, for like 12, 10, 11, 12 years? When my first book was published, I think it was like in 2006 or seven. I was on your podcast for the first time. 2007, I think it was. Yes. Oh, Amazing. my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, you have been with me since the very beginning. I have learned so much about you and your books, uh, but this book I really want to uh, talk about, and it is um, Decoding Your Contract with the Universe. I think this is powerful, and it's a beginner's guide to this secret language of the stars. So this all has to do with the karmic um, language from a previous life, right? Absolutely, absolutely. The book is called Sign Language for that for that particular reason. Every sign has its own language and it's reflecting different things. And we've all come to believe that our sun sign is the only important sign in our horoscope or our birth chart. And while the sun sign is incredibly significant, because that tells me and any other astrologer the level of where what your soul aced in the last lifetime. In other words, you are a Gemini because in your last lifetime, you have a degree in communications and connecting information to people to ideas. 
uh, if you have a, if a son, if your son is in cancer at the moment, you have a degree in having superior abilities to create intimacy. So you're incredibly creative, but you can create a soft place to fall for other people. You can create, you know, how to be intimate, not on the sexual level, but on an emotional level where you can make people feel like family. You can bring them in and you can be incredibly nurturing. So every sign tells me when someone's sun sign is what their level of expertise is in this lifetime. So if you were to wake up in the morning and you're a teacher, and you would wake up in the morning. You don't have to wake up and, and, and say, okay, what am I? I'm a teacher and I went to, you just wake up knowing who you are. And that's what your sun sign is. If you're a Gemini, you don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, I know how to, you just know how to communicate because that's what you learned in your last lifetime. All the other planets represent in, in your natal sky represent other things as the sun does. Mars, for instance, represents our ability to take action. Our, our sexual drive, our ability, our anger, anything to do with our ego, that's Mars. The sign that your Mars was in in your last lifetime tells me where you aced be controlling your ego, where you aced physical skills in your last lifetime. What physical skills are you bringing into this lifetime? What anger issues are you bringing into this lifetime? Because they were part of your last one. So your Mars sign is incredibly important to know what, when, if you look at someone's Mars sign, it doesn't matter what their sun sign is. I can tell you what makes them get up off the couch and get into the game. What makes them stand up and be counted. That's all where their Mars signs. Venus is another one. Venus. And what I love, what I tried to do in the book is I explain how the ancient astronomers, why they gave certain uh, attributes and characteristics to each planet's influence. And it has so much to do with the as above, so below of astrology in the sense that however they behaved or worked in the sky is what they brought to us down here on planet Earth. So for instance, Venus for the longest time, as I mentioned in the book, they thought was a star because sometimes, in fact, they thought it was two stars initially, ancient astronomers, because sometimes it would be ahead of the sun and there would be glowing in the morning. And sometimes when it was behind the sun, it would be shimmering at dusk as the evening star. So they thought it was a star until they actually got, and these these ancients had some, you know, real game when you figure out how they determined so many things. But when they realized that what was making Venus glow was the fact that it's close proximity to the sun. Now, Mercury was close, but why wasn't Mercury glowing? Yeah. Mercury was even closer, but they realized that Venus has this incredible thick cloud cover. And what it does is it captures the sun's best light and then bounces it back out into the universe. Now think of it, the sun's best light, its strongest, most brilliant rays, and then bounces it out. So in your birth chart, Venus represents your sun is you, your brilliant stuff, your skills, the stuff oh. that you hold. And you and for that reason, in the birth chart, Venus was the first their first indication of reception, attraction and reception. So that's why it's what we attract in this life as our Venus sign. So if you look at someone's Venus sign, you can say, I know what they're attracted to and I know what they're good at. And I always say to people, when you're looking at a Venus sign, don't tell me it just happened to fall into your closet or happened to be on your playlist. If you have it, you find it worthwhile. You're attracted to it. And that's what Venus indicates in the chart. That's why in a woman's chart, you can see what kind of how she attracts men by what her attraction and receptivity, her ability to put out a glow and bring people into her sphere. Okay, Mars is because Mars is the planet of action, energy, and desire. That's how most men come from Mars, how they pursue. Mars is how everyone pursues because most men pursue rather than attract like women do. And there's exceptions, but all of us pursue. And all of us attract sometimes. So knowing your Venus sign, or if you start dating someone, what their Venus and what their Mars sign is, is incredibly useful because it tells you about their last life with that planet's energy and what they're bringing to the game in this. Oh, that is so important. I love this stuff. I love it. Now, because I was talking to you earlier, the things that I have learned from you about my past life has totally changed my life. It has helped me to look at things in a different perspective. I was able to resolve a lot of things. And as you said just a little while ago, you just kind of had to let go. And when you let go, but you can't do it if you're looking at it, trying to figure it out. So it's really amazing the things that you can discover that will help you in this life by the past. 
absolutely just in the previous life. It's no different than what psychologists or psychiatrists do when they sit us down on the couch and bring us back to our early childhood in this lifetime. Because for me, the early childhood in this lifetime is exactly where we came from in the last one. Yeah. So that's why we come into this, this realm, this physical existence with all kinds of neurosis and baggage. What it is, is the soul really is remembering things from yesterday. And that's why with children too, and I did it with my own children when they were growing up, there's a really very large window for to talk to young children about what's bothering them and to validate, okay, this is something you experienced, but not here and now. We're going to put that in the past. And believe it or not, children are much more accepting of that. We adults have a difficult time because we've been through years of programming that this is, yes. this is you know, a cult, this is paranormal, this is not something that is real physical science. Well, tell that to our ancient astronomers because they practiced astrology and astronomy as one science. And the way astro- astronomy being the way the objects moved in the heavens and how they affected each other. Astrology, like any OG science, like theology or sociology, how those movements affected us down here on, on planet Earth. And it was only late, a little bit later on that the Catholic Church decided they didn't want people running to their astrologers to be guided. They wanted to be able to do that. So they put the astrology part of this science into this, you know, devil kind of occult kind of yeah. thing that, you know, you could, is blaspheme and everything else if you practiced it. And it's only recently since the seventies or the sixties that people started the metaphysical, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, that people started realizing these ancients knew what they were talking about. Very few of them had um, I often believe, and that can, that, you know, a lot of people think I'm crazy for this, that they learned from some higher life form that was visiting this, this sphere. Because for I me, how could they tell without any kind of telescopes that it took, you know, Mercury 88 days to get around the sun? How could they tell? And these were things they discovered. They said Saturn took 29 and a half years to get around the sun. And anything they discovered and put on paper was never proven wrong. There are a lot of things they hadn't yet discovered that we're learning after them, but there was nothing that was proven wrong with the exception of, and you look at um, when Galileo said, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're revolving around the sun. The sun isn't revolving around us. And he was what? Excommunicated. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these are the things that these ancient astrologers knew that the influences that we were born under were no different. We could go back and determine what our potential was in this lifetime. And it wasn't one of these things where, you know, if you were born, if you go outside, you're going to fall off the place of the, the, the face of the earth and you're going to die. It was never predictive astrology like that. It was prediction to tell you, these are, this is your potential. These are the energies you're coming into, but we all still have free will. Yeah. And that's, that's the nice part about it. Even when astrologers get into prediction, they're not telling you what's going to happen. They're telling you the energies that you're moving into based on your birth chart and giving you the option of what to do with them. So fascinating. Uh, I just want to, and I know I said this a couple of times, you know, I interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton, the um, a scientist, medical professional, and I asked him, is astro- astrology real? He says, absolutely. How can it not be real? Well, you can see evidence by the waves. Of course. Exactly. Like the, that's what I say to people, you know, um, uh, if you think, you know, you know, m- making waves, the, the ocean, does, you know, the moon does it all the time. This is what, and that's why the moon rules our emotions, because our emotions ebb and flow. You ask anyone in law enforcement, there's more people that are locked up or anybody in a hospital, more babies are born during a full moon. Because when the moon is out, the word lunatic is there for a reason. <laughs> people that are being in, their emotions are being influenced by this draw and this pull of this planet. And depending on your particular moon sign of birth, I think I was speaking to you about yours, that speaks of what your emotional, what your emotional self is in this lifetime. Now think of this, they explain it too, as I explain it in the book. When the ancient astronomers first looked up at the most the second brightest thing in our sky, the moon, they couldn't figure it out because it had it had no light of its own. It was only reflecting the sun's light. So again, like I spoke to you about Venus, they realized the moon is our emotional nightlight. It's really has no light. At least Venus is generating that light. The moon has no light of its own. It's just reflecting the inner us, the nighttime us, the dark us, the subconscious us. And that's a reason. And so the, when the moon comes out at night, of course, it's going to have an influence on us. The moon sign in your birth chart 
talks to me about the nurturing you received in your last lifetime, the family you came from, the mothering, nurture. I, I always say the nurturing parent or mother, because whoever was the nurturing parent in your last lifetime, that's who that reflects. So for you with the moon in Leo, tells me right off the bat that your mother in your last lifetime or nurturing parent was very regal, might have even been a very high powered official or somebody on the throne or somebody that demanded respect. And was not going to settle for anything less. And so the family was used to doing that. Mm. One thing about a moon and Leo, it's because it is a very dramatic sign and demanding sign. There's always a lot of drama in your family life in this lifetime. <laughs> you can't avoid it. Except as I said to you earlier on, you can avoid it by backing off from it and saying, you know what? I'm not going to be part of this play unless it's a play that suits you. Unless it's a play where they're all standing on their feet applauding you because eventually with the moon and Leo, that's what you're here to do, to get the applause, to move into the spotlight yourself, not constantly worry about your family seeing you in the spotlight or taking theirs away from them. And that's when, when you get comfortable with the idea, I can be in the spotlight, I don't need sanction or approval from them, then it's amazing. Everything falls into place and you end up having great relationships with your family. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yes, yes. As I said earlier, my family kind of laughed at me for doing this. And that was 13 years ago. And I'm still doing it. <laughs> as they would. But as as they would. Would be, for, for, if you think of the last lifetime, especially when you read that chapter on Leo in the book, Moon and Leo, you think of the last lifetime, how dare you? You know, this is how we get attention, not this way. You're making us look bad. You know, we feel ashamed. We feel foolish. And that's why the moon and Leo has to hold their ground. If they're not, you know, robbing banks and blowing up buildings and they're doing something that is really their passion. And that they, because here's the thing, whatever a moon and Leo is doing, they're usually an authority figure. at, And that's what the family has a hard time with them becoming an authority figure. See, they have this set of clothing that you should be fitting into. And when it no longer fits you, you say, no, that's not my wardrobe anymore. They were saying, yes, put this coat on. This is the coat you wear, not that one. And the moon and Leo has to turn and say, you know what? Those are costumes that just don't fit me anymore. I'm doing this play. If you want to come over here to my theater, join me. But I'm not going back there. So it's very interesting. Anytime you take that attitude with anyone you're biologically related to, you will see that it's hard at first. And there's a part inside your gut that says, oh, they're going to be mad at me. If you can move past that and say, so what? Yeah. Watch within a matter of time. They're, they're calling you, they're saying they're sorry, or maybe sometimes because Moon and, Moon and Leo is very arrogant. Very few of them have the ability to say, I'm sorry. They might just call up and say, you know, how about coming over for Christmas? And that's their idea of an apology. And that's what you do, you know, but if you want to. But I love the fact that right now you're in a stage in your life where that that is not holding any weight over you anymore. So you watch how things fall into place. Yes. Yes. Well, in the law of attraction, I had to learn that. So that falls right in to the Isn't law of attraction. How the, all the basic laws, I say, whether it's tarot, whether it's astrology, whether it's Reiki, whether it's the law of attraction, all roads, all, if there's a true metaphysical path, always point to Rome. You can, I could be on the phone with a psychic and I could be reading the chart and she could be reading the energy and we're both coming up with the same information. Because I always say there's just different formulas for getting there. I always liken it to when I was a very young child and I was learning math and I remember thinking you have the flashcards. I say this all the time, five and five is 10. Oh, great. And I remember the day I thought, wait a minute, eight and two is 10. Six and four is 10. Three and seven. And I was like, I, I had this epiphany. Like there's so many different ways to get to 10. And I think with our work, it's the same way. There are so many different ways to get to who we are in this lifetime. And according to Edgar Casey, who was always my hero, and I, and I know yours too, to a large degree, his attitude was we are uh, spiritual beings having a mental experience in this physical world. So our path, a mental one. So our path here, our goal here, and he believed, which I thought was fascinating, he believed that there were other forms of life on other different planets. Of course, we couldn't see them because they're different planets. So on Neptune, it was all about spirituality. Venus, it was all about love. Jupiter was all about knowledge. Mercury, all about yes, mental yes. activity and, and learning. But, he, but on this one, it was all about physicality. So our job in this lifetime was to lead an honorable human or physical life. So you say, what is an honorable human life? And that was a life that the body had worked for, but the soul could be proud of. 
So what we do do in this world, we go to extremes. We give everything up and we're going to be truly spiritual or else we go the other way and we're just going to live for the almighty buck when the idea is to combine the two. Interesting. Right. To make a lot of money, put a lot of people to work, do good with it, but make it something that you're proud of to leave as a legacy. And it doesn't matter whether it's a really, a really wonderful gas station that, that gives, you know, that, that ha- does habitat for humanity and employs all kinds of people. But if your moral compass is set where you're good to your employees, they have a place to work and a place to, it affords them a decent lifestyle and honorable human life, then you've done well. Yeah. Crucifying people like that. What we should do is applaud them because they are providing other, they're giving others an access to have an honorable human life as well. Right. You know, so I thought that was fascinating when I read that about Eddie Casey. And long before anybody knew about the validity of astrology, one of my favorite anecdotes about him was when he would go down into his, his trances and, and, and do readings for people on their physical health. And he was amazing how accurate he was. He was always, he would often talk about, oh, this person was born under, the, under, this, under Jupiter. So, you know, either they're rising Sagittarius or, or Sagittarius. He would constantly refer to the constellations. And before I wrote my first book, I went to the ARE in Virginia Beach. And I went into his chapel and did, read so many of his writings on astrology. And what a source of inspiration, which is why I dedicated my first book to, to him. And I sent it there to ask them to review it, which they did wonderfully. That was the best day of my life. But what I, he said that was so interesting was in 1929, he kept talking about the influence of the planet Septius. And everybody's going, Septus, Septus. Yeah. And then in 1930, when Pluto was discovered, Septus was, Pluto is the ninth planet, but it's the seventh planet from the earth. And that's the term for seven. Ah. So after it was discovered, then he started referring to it as Pluto too in his sessions. Oh, be He was joined. talking about things in the universe that we didn't even know existed at the time. Wow. And had wow. the influence that they had on us. So I found that fascinating as well. Well, you, you've note, you said a couple of times, uh, people from other planets. Right. Now, now, okay. Out of gods, if you will, right? Oh, no, no. All the broadcasts that we've had together, this is really the first time you're talking about people on the other planet. So does this mean that um, we're going to be having disclosure about that soon? What do you think? We could be. We could be. But you know what I liken it to? Like an anthill. When we walk by an anthill, we're out in the woods taking a walk. We see this little anthill. Think of us, Earth, as an anthill in space, right? And we see this anthill. We might get down and play with one or two of the ants a while. And then you have cruel people that might crush the anthill. But we go on. This means nothing to us. I think that's how we're viewed in the universe. We're in such a rudimentary, you know, primary position we're not a threat to anybody we're just this anthill over here that's developing and that's why we have sightings sometimes people walk by they play around with one of the ants and they move on and and i but i do truly believe that we are walking in our own footprints to a large degree where when we come across things ancient mayan rooms or that's maybe this who we were before we blew ourselves up and started all over again, or else it was another life form that came down here. I often, I marvel at Greek and Roman mythology. Yes. Mount Olympus when the gods were up there and they were, all these little people were so, you know, impressed with them and in such reverence of them because they could do all these wonderful things and they took their fiery chariots up to the sky. Think of a spaceship. Apollo, by the way, used to ride his fiery chariot into the sky. You could be describing a rocket ship today when you see the fire coming out of the back of it. And he was going up to, he was, and the stories, if you look at Greek mythology, the stories they tell, it's kind of a five-year-old's way of describing what they see their adults doing around them. And how many times have we heard that? It's very funny to hear them talk about it. And they have maybe a kernel or two of truth in there that's something that's right, but the rest of it is all how their, their perception of what they're seeing. And I think, there were God, what we called gods and goddesses. There were another life form down here running tests. For, for instance, one of my favorite uh, ancient myths is Pandora. When she when Pandora went into the lab and they told her not to open anything and not to touch anything, and she did because she was too curious. And they said, well, you let all these things out. Look at like AIDS and leukemia, all these diseases or things that they were trying to work. And, and what did they say to her? Don't worry. Now that you did one thing that, came of this is hope that there'll be a cure for these things. But now there has to become a cure for them because you've let them out. And when you're talking about it in that language, the way she's perceiving it, 
it was horrible. And, but if you think of it, how many times have you heard of a plane that crashed and certain biological matter got out or, you know, and, and as a result, then, you know, 30 years later, there's some kind of virus or something that's running around this planet. I think it was something very similar like that. Every single one of the stories. So my feeling, and they talked about astrology and the sun and, and, and Venus and, and all these other, I truly believe that many of what, much of what we know now, we learned from them. Wow. Powerful. And yeah. From the, the fables, so-called fables. Right. It was such a high, there's such a higher life form. And I always come back to um, understanding the universe. I mean, Mercury, when it, when Mercury revolves around the earth, it is so close to the horizon. It's impossible to see for a good, maybe three quarters of the year from this planet. Yet they were clocking Mercury. Take known it took 88 days when it went retrograde. I mean, I know it's going retrograde and I have telescopes and I can barely find this thing, you know? Wow. So it's really impossible. To, you know, you, it's impossible to believe that they didn't have help. Even if it was like Plato or Aristotle, when they passed on these stories of Atlantis, where did they get this from? They had to be told about these things. And like a lot of ancient lore, I think there's a lot of truth to what they've been told. And there'll, exactly. always, there'll always be the fight in this physical world between good and evil or good and quote the devil of, which is of evil. But I think that's how Atlantis went down. That Edgar Casey talks about Atlantis and he talks, which is one of the reasons I used to take my children to the Virginia beach. We didn't live far from it, but he believed the waters, uh, the sand in Virginia beach was very healing. That's why he built his hospital there. But right off the coast of Bermuda is where he believed Atlantis was. Where Bermuda is, and the Bermuda Triangle, when Atlantis went down with all these lasers and this hype, he believed later on, a lot of other people believed that that's why so many planes were lost or so many uh, compasses would go crazy in that area, not because there was some kind of diabolical force, but because buried deep within that ocean there are all kinds of incredibly powered lasers. Fascinating. It is fascinating, you know. And I think um, as a Gemini, just wanting to learn all this information and understand it, my favorite part is finding new formulas for finding the soul's past in the birth chart. And then, and then you know, doing studies with them and finding them how accurate they are so that we can get people back in touch with what didn't work in their last lifetime. And we're, we're creatures of habit. So finding out all, what all these signs have to say in sign language about every one of your planets, you can, you can when you look at it, say, I still do that. I'm going to stop. Or you know what? I stopped playing the piano, and why did I? I was, I was, you know, disparaged for that talent. I w- wasn't encouraged. I'm going to start playing it again. So you can see where it was somebody else's idea for you not to live up to your potential and where it was yours, and you can kind of bring that into this lifetime, claim it. So right off the bat, when you're looking at yourself, you discover that every issue in your life is the result of a previous life. But what about previous lives before them? They all accumulate? Yes, and that's a great question because we're evolving, correct? We're evolving on this planet that's evolving. So when people say to me, oh, Marguerite, you know, I remember, I know you told me this is so apt. Before you start my last life session, I remember three different lives. And I say, you know, everyone, according to Edgar Casey. They said to him, why don't people remember their last lives? And he said, do you know how overwhelming that would be? Oh, gosh, you, yes. you think, why bother getting up in the morning? So when all that I read about him is why we're naturally, each time we come into a life, we're, we're, we forget the essentials. But unfortunately, the soul, because it's the eternal part of us, and it's been through every one of those lives, it remembers certain habit patterns. And it has such a longing for the past. That's why we've got to... We need to keep our soul close so that it can intuitively tell us what's going on, but we don't let it drive the bus or we'd, we'd be looking in the rear view mirror in a ditch. That's all we'd be doing is reliving the past. But what I believe when I look at the birth chart, the 12th house or any of the signs, I'm seeing the very last physical existence on this planet. So while you may remember one lifetime being an Indian and you may remember another lifetime when you were a doctor over in Saudi Arabia, or you might remember a time when you were a king, I say to people, Every it's much, kind of like having fond memories of when you were in kindergarten or eighth grade when you're going into college. Oh, I remember when I did this in eighth grade. Remember when I did this in kindergarten? Those are all make up of who you were. But when you're going into college, all you have to remember is everything you learned in the twelfth grade. Right, the culmination of all the other grades. So I think we get memories of those previous lives. But what I see 
in the chart and what those signs represent in sign language is your last physical existence on this planet. Where did you leave off? And that's good to know. Yeah, it is. Pick up from that point and say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to let this faction in my life keep me from living up to my potential because basically what all the signs are in your birth chart would be no different than taking a, a sample of your blood and put it under a microscope and a doctor saying to you, no, Jules, you have the potential to be eight feet. You have the potential to, uh, you know, to, you have your part, part of your lineage is that you're Italian. You have the potential to be a really, uh, really healthy person. This, but you're carrying this gene, which you have to be careful about. That's exactly what the signs in the astrology show. What your potential is in this lifetime based on what you worked at and who you were in your last lifetime. So wow. if you had a violent temper, your last lifetime, it's nice to know that, that you're not going crazy. Your soul is just resorting to old methods that didn't work yesterday. Isn't that fascinating? I love this. Okay, so now in your book, Sign Language, mm-hmm. Decoding Your Contract. Okay, so what we are learning from this book is how to put the pieces together ourselves. So exactly. we need to know the placement of our sun signs to be able to decipher that, right? Every birth chart not only has the planets in the chart, but right next to that planet glyph is a glyph for the sign the planet was in at the moment of your birth. So, and if any of your listeners need a birth chart that all birth charts have it, they can come to my website, put their birth information and I can send them a a free birth chart. That's not every single, every single uh, free website for birth charts. Every birth chart will show you the glyph for the planet, whether it's Venus, whether it's Mars, whether it's Jupiter or Uranus. And right next to that glyph is the glyph for the sign it was in. So you'll see your sun and the sun sign will match up to what you know your sun sign to be. There'll be the Mercury sign, the Venus sign, the, the uh, Mars, Jupiter, everyone. In the, and based on what that planet represents in the natal sky, Pluto is about power. Where were you powerful in your last life? Look at your Pluto sign. Wow. What did you do with it? You know, now what I always tell people, the signs are significant and really important because they tell me who you were in your last life, what you brought into this life with you. The house placement is what you promise the cosmos, God, the universal mind, whatever you'd like to call that omnipresent power, what you promised you would do with that in this lifetime. Wow. The sign is what, what sign the planet happened to be in at the moment of your birth. And the house placement is what was that planet's relationship to your birthplace at the moment of your birth. So if the moon was under the earth at the moment you were born, you have the moon in the fourth house. So you promised to use that Leo moon to give other people a sense of, of um, emotional security and domestic stability. So the, the house placement is what your promise is. And when you live up to your promises, if you don't live up to your promises, no bolt of lightning is going to come out of the sky. Nobody's <laughs> going to get hurt. But you're never gonna, going to experience the joy you signed up for in this lifetime. That's where our joy comes from, keeping this contract. Isn't that fascinating? And that's really the key right there. That's what, oh my gosh, that's it. It's not about punishment. It's about, it's almost as if you had a child that went into second grade and all they did was dawdle and fool around all year and they don't, when they come home, is school going to kill them? No. Are they going to be held up for display and ridiculed? No. They do have to do the second grade over again, don't they? And that's the thing. It all comes back to free will, human choice. Do we want to roll up our sleeves and make the most of this life the way we said we would? Or do we want to just come back and do it again? And so some of the people in my life, like in yours, you don't want to come back. Other people you do. You want to come back with them for sure. But there are certain situations you say, no, I think I want to learn it this time and move on. You know? so, so do these signs show you, like, if you have a tendency to be an alcoholic or yeah. a drug or or addicted to something out yes. there. A lot of the signs do. And the reason for that is in a previous life, their life was so horrible, they had to resort to other means to get through. So it was a sense, it was a sense of altering an altered state of consciousness, whether it was self-imposed or imposed by others. I always say, and axes have a lot to do with it. Virgo and Pisces are one of those axes. They are the serve or suffer syndrome axis. They're both about healing. The, uh, Virgo is physical improvement. Uh, Pisces is emotional health. So they're the same axis. But if somebody has a planet in Virgo and they want to, Virgos are always trying to create something that doesn't exist, perfection. 
Pisces are always trying to get someplace that doesn't exist, utopia, you know? Right. So, and really, really smart, educated, um, I want to say wise Pisces will do it by writing beautiful songs that bring people to utopia, or make, uh, or writing a beautiful movie or producing a beautiful movie that takes us to utopia. The weaker Pisces will turn around and pop a few pills and have a bottle of wine and they'll get there on their own. And the same thing with Virgo, you know, and I say, if you have a Virgo or and a Pisces and they want to make something be- better, most cases, Virgo said, get me the broom, get out the calculator. We're going to fix this thing. And, and the Pisces will say, you know what, get me some really good uh, uh, charcoals and a bottle of wine. I'm going to make this better. You know, and, but we need both of those people in our lives. We need the artist and yeah. we need the problem solver, but they both have the same goal. And every axis in the chart works that way. Like our axis Gemini and, and Sagittarius. One is about finding the information and the other is about getting it out there. You know, I don't, I have to, I'm not really going to check and see if it's true, but let's just get it out there, you know, <laughs> where the Gemini has got to find it and pass it on and, and figure it out and say, ask 12 different opinions about it and really <laughs> uncover this stuff, you know? So both axes are very prominent and necessary. So, and the thing about the sign language, which I explained in the very beginning of the book, you'll have a lot of, People tell you, oh, you know, astrology doesn't line up with the calendar anymore. So they're right. It's a, it's moot. And I go into great depth in the very beginning. I talk about the procession of the equinox uh, in, a, in a thumbnail description of it. When we first, when our ancient Babylonians first started practicing astrology, they decided to, 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 um, to, to measure everything against the fixed stars in the signs, not the things that revolved around the planet. So on the first day, but we are, we are a planet of, of, um, we really go by the seasons, spring, right. Communal equinox, the, the, the spring equinox, um, the solstices. So the very first day of, when, when the sun crossed over for the spring equinox, they looked up and there was the sun at zero, zero degree Aries. So they said, okay, zero, zero degree Aries is the first day of spring. And that's when Aries starts in March. Well, we kind of wobble on our axis a little. So after a couple million years, we don't line up to that particular. But it didn't matter. We were always basing it on the seasons, when the solstices occurred, when the equinoxes occurred. So here's what I say in the very beginning of the book. I truly believe in as above, so below. Why would we be constantly seeing signs that don't match up to now? Why is that happening? They, they believed at one time that they would always be there, but they're not. And I think it's because those signs are truly letting us know here, they are a reflection of the past. They're not about the here and now. Wow. They are about the past. So when I went on the very, when, when, I, when I first went on one of the programs right after my first book was published, and it was with a, a man I like very much, Walter Cruttenden. He wrote a book, he was a scientist about the lost star. He and I spoke about this, and I thought, okay, this is where they want to hang an astrologer, get me on to talk about this. And he was like, Margaret, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful if we could prove that? Because he believed the Aryan age was during the time when, when it didn't match up, and it was Aries, that was the time during the Romans, when everybody was killing everybody. And it was all about egos, and it was all about blood in the streets. Now we're approaching, and then we went into Pisces, which was about Jesus, and, and now we're moving toward Aquarius, which is very, getting very close, which is about the metaphysical, the higher vibration. So it's very, very interesting. But when somebody says to you, oh, the stars don't line up anymore, I don't believe, I think the Babylonians thought they would. I don't think the universe ever intended them to line up permanently because they're constantly a reflection. So you and I were born during Gemini, but we were not born when the sun was actually in Gemini. It's telling us in our last life, it was in Gemini when we were born. Wow. That's why we come into this world knowing how to be a Gemini. We're (laughs) learning that now. We learned that before. Yeah, it's true with all of your signs. So it's not what you were born into now, the house placement, yes. But the sign is a reflection of what you brought back with you. Wow, amazing, amazing. So a teacher and a communicator and a, uh, a t- not just a teacher and a communicator when it's in Gemini, but it's the idea of having flexible thought, being able to connect the dot over here to here right. and really struggling to do that, to make information make sense to each other. That's why the ruling planet Mercury is responsible for data, you know, connecting facts, data, people, and things to each other. And when it goes retrograde in the sky, he said, hey, look at what's gone on in the last 88 days. Let everything bubble to the surface. What did you say? What happened? 
check all that out. It's given us a chance to do it over again, if you will. So your book will teach everyone all the things you need to know so that you can go backwards and decipher what you are bringing forward in this life. And like I said, the moment that you understand what you brought back, you're able to look at it in a different place through new eyes. And it's amazing how fast you can heal from that. And, and, and that juicy backstory, I always tell people, is always not just chock full of things that we did wrong, but it's about skills we developed that maybe we're not even using now because yeah. we've been discouraged in this life. Because guess what? We were discouraged in the last one and we bought it. So now we're discouraged in this life and it, that feels familiar to us. Yeah. So it's talents and things that you have going for you in this lifetime that you might not be using. And, you might, and as a result, that's why you're not hitting your potential. So it's important to know those things, I think. And it's, it's been incredibly significant for me, not just in rearing my children and trying to encourage their development, but in teaching them how to process. Like I've looked at every one of my children's Mercury sign because your Mercury is how in your last lifetime you learn to process information. How, so that's how you process information now in this lifetime. So when you're talking to a child or even a student who's got Mercury and cancer, that's very different from a child we were just talking about, or Mercury and Pisces, from a child with Mercury and Virgo. Virgo. Virgo wants the facts. Pisces wants to know how it's going to make them feel when they learn it. Okay? So knowing that these are the two venues to have, what wonderful kind of teacher can you be? So it empowers you to know your audience as well. And, and like I said, my children all had to live by the same rules. But how I communicated with them and how I got them to understand things was totally based on their Mercury sign. So fascinating. And it's such a tool that's so misunderused in my lifetime, you know. So not only is it for you, but it's allowing you to understand everybody around you. And you as well, you know, and and, and anybody that teaches or speaks or or wants to, to, to connect with people. That's And with you, with your Mercury and Cancer, you intuitively know how to make people feel at home. And that's really, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to learn. Yeah, that's you know what so I mean? right. Yeah. You, you want to know, you want to feel as if you're in a, in, in a, in a, a warm and fuzzy kind of soft, you know, because in your last lifetime, which again takes me to that moon in Leo, you might have been homeschooled or, 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 or in a place where you were totally with your family. You weren't allowed to go out with the, the unwashed, if you will. Like if you were, if you were in like a, um, a, a royal family or something like that. You're tutored at home and, you know, where yeah. you're safe and that kind of a thing. So that's really significant to you to have like a, if you're in a classroom, you want to feel like it's a family. You know, that kind of explains it because the reason why I got into doing law of attraction talk radio back in 2007 was because I knew I was doing stuff wrong and I wanted to hear from the experts. And the only way I could get to the experts was by bringing them on to my show so that's how I started learning about it. But see, that's, not, that's that. absolutely you. That's wonderful. That's a very Geminian approach, practical, and you want the information. But then you're, but here you're doing it in the way education. said. You're spreading it out there for everybody to get, take advantage of. I am, but I had to go to the experts, the talk people of the secret, bring them in so that I could right. question them. So there goes the royalty from a previous life, wanting for me to go to the top people, get right. the answers, and then so I could spread it out using my humanness. <laughs> well, you want to know the other, the really best part about a moon and Leo is you're very comfortable with, with top people because you were around them all your life in your last lifetime. Ah. So you're not, you're not, you know, you're not shot, you're not afraid of them, you're not intimidated by them. You feel that they're your peers. So you can right. talk to them. Other people are like, I wouldn't call him and ask him, but you know, let me call so-and-so. You have no problem doing that. Because that's, <laughs> you, that's who you were in a previous life. Interesting. So get Oprah on the phone. I want to talk to her. <laughs> right. But you wouldn't have, I'm not saying she'd get up, pick up the phone, but you would have no problem calling her. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't. That's exactly right. And, and some of the secret stars are good friends. So exactly. yeah, isn't that amazing? See, there, there are such positives to every sign that you do bring, like it's not all about, oh, I don't want to do that again. It's to remind you of why you have these traits. So use them. 
you know, why you have these skills, use them. They're to your advantage. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, I just love this. Marguerite, I never get bored with you. You, we have to start our own classroom. We have to do something in the classroom. We probably wouldn't have any students. We'd just be talking to each other. <laughs> but I know that people just got a lot out of this. So I just got to ask you, do you do private sessions? Or are you I've only really done one type of private session. Now. I'm doing the 12th house soul session, but I have a new workbook out there uh, where you can explore your own 12th house. The sign language is great because then it can take it to the, even the next line level. You can go to every single every single one of the plants in your sky and realize why you know why you get angry this way why you attract this kind of person into your life um but the 12th house workbook is really i've been getting a lot of great feedback on that because it gives people who can't afford it a session i give them their first important six keys to delving into your soul's last life so after you've read sign language and then you want to go and start unlocking your own 12th house but i do do 12th house soul sessions they're like 45 minute session where i do an in-depth analysis of the soul's 12th house in the last life and what they brought into this life with them wow yeah you could really get a lot of information out of right. that okay that's what you and i did years ago and i did yeah oh yeah that was <sighs> it, that started power. the healing that started the healing path for me it really did changed my life so i'm going to recommend that to everyone but also this book because you need to start learning why you're here if you're going to fulfill some of the th issues that you need to fulfill in this lifetime instead of taking it along with another lifetime you know you could just end those issues now but i got a feeling that you're bringing all of these other things that you didn't even have time to touch on is that possible that from is. all the all these other lives that you've had well I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is because that, like you, my feeling is I just want to know more. I just feel that knowledge is power. Most Geminis do. And I feel that you can become more empowered when you know things about, like they say, whereas, you know, whereas as sick as the secrets we keep, well, this is a secret we don't realize we're keeping, you know, our soul's keeping it. So by bringing it up, how, you know, how healthy can that make us? And we can look, we can look at it with some kind of, and remove ourselves and say, you know, that was yesterday and yesterday's gone. I don't have to do this anymore. And that to me was incredibly empowering when I was raising my children. I remember one night sitting myself down and say, I don't want the cycle to continue. And I stopped. And, but you, you have to want to. But I, I, I wanted to break certain patterns. And then I wanted to pick up where I had dropped others because other people didn't want me to like you. And that's what you have to change in this lifetime. Because I believe the only way to discover your purpose in this lifetime is to unlock your past yeah. because it's kind of it's kind of like a football field if you're constantly playing defense how do you get down the line and score a touchdown you don't if you're constantly you know you know holding back the things that hurt and and and, and cleaning up the messes in your life there's no way to get take the initiative to, to pursue what you desire we don't even hit us don't even know what that is because we're so busy licking our wounds and trying to heal ourselves where when we turn around and say you know what I, once I recognize this about my past, now, this is what I want to do and, and forget it. And you just go for it. I think the purpose, the sign on your 12th house, as, as is in my workbook and all my other books, the sign on your 12th house speaks volumes about what in your last lifetime you sacrificed and what you're now here in this lifetime to live up to. Wow. So per discovering your purpose is all about unlocking that 12th house. Oh, this is so fascinating. Wow. Wow. And you're giving us the tools to figure this out. And I can't tell you enough how great you have been and how you have changed my life. Well, right back at you, Missy, because you were one of the first radio shows that I went on and you were like a litmus test for everything to come. And um, <laughs> again, your cancer, your, your Venus and cancer, you're so warm and welcoming and making, validating this science, which Back 12 years ago, there weren't that many radio show hosts doing that. You know, yeah. so that was wonderful for me as well. So I want you to know that just as much of an impact on my life and work as you say I did on yours, which I'm always so grateful to. And you're a best-selling author, really incredible author. So, Marguerite, give them your website. 
It's uh, www.marguerimanning.com. And there's a phone number on there too. There's also a, a, a form on the back. If you have any questions, you can send me a, a message uh, through my through my website. But also, my books are on my website. Podcasts like yours are on my website. If you want to go back and listen to previous shows that you and I have done together, um, there's all kinds of things on the birth chart to get a feel for what karmic astrology. So the site is MarguerteManning.com, but I call it Therapy for the Soul, Karmic Astrology with with me, and it's about because I think that I use the birth chart as a therapeutic tool rather than just a predictive one. I think both are necessary, but I think the predictive one will mean, has more meaning when you know what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Wow. Thank you so much, Marguerite. I love having you on and you're going to come back sooner than absolutely. what we did. I mean, it's been a couple of years, so. I would love to Jules anytime for you. Just, <laughs> you got it. All right. Thank you so much, Marguerite. Thank you, Julius. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.